Well, it's an absolute privilege to not only lead worship this morning, but also to preach God's Word to you. And uh, I really trust you're going to be encouraged by my message this morning. Um, I don't know how many of you would have thought that when we started the year that we would have already been through so much in 2020, uh, not only with coronavirus, but in the last couple of weeks also with the death of George Floyd and all the repercussions of that throughout the whole world. Uh, and also here in, in the UK, uh, many people going through really deep soul-searching in terms of their own lives and their own response and how to respond. Um, many people feeling the uh, pain of injustice at a very deep level and things that have been going on for centuries and have been partially addressed now coming to the surface again. And I really felt compelled to, to, to speak um, this morning and just to pause a little bit on Mark, and, and um, I felt God remind me of something that I have spoken about before, but I really felt was appropriate to revisit again. And we're going to look at the book of Galatians in chapter 2, and a story there that really points to the heart of some of the problem. Uh, and I, I want to say right up front, I, I don't um, claim to speak on anyone's behalf this morning, uh, other than to try and preach the gospel to you, and I'm convinced that the gospel is what transforms us from the inside out. And that all of us are in a process of being transformed and continuing to be transformed uh, to become more and more like Jesus. And so all of us need to embrace change on a daily basis in our lives. But I'd just like to point to the story of Peter and Paul's response to Peter and how it can help us uh, in our response right now as we try and navigate through what is a very complex uh, problem in our society. So I'm going to read from Galatians 2, verse um, 11 to 21. And uh, you know the story well. It says this, When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came... He drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though the law, uh, th for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, 
For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So the title of my message this morning is simply Living in Step with the Truth of the Gospel. And um, this portion in Galatians really speaks about that, about us bringing all of our lives into step with the truth of the gospel. And that process never stops. Uh, it won't stop until we get to heaven. But here we see Peter, and remember Peter is a founding apostle of the church. He's reminded that there's a practi practical application in his life of the gospel. And so this doesn't exclude anyone. Paul had already gone to Jerusalem to speak to the other apostles and to establish this great truth with the other apostles that all of us, every one of us, is saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Nothing else. We add nothing to that. We are saved purely by grace through faith. And he stood together with Peter on that crucial issue. Now, in Antioch, which is a Gentile city, he stands against Peter to his face. And the question is, why? Well, we see in this portion what matters most, most of all to Paul. And he uses this little expression that we are justified by faith. And that really summarizes his entire teaching about the gospel. And we see in verse 11 that Paul says Peter is clearly wrong about a very basic issue. Well, what is he wrong about? It's interesting that Paul uses a very simple illustration to point out something in Peter's heart. He talks about his table manners. In verse 11, I think it is, in verse 12, it says, He used to eat with the Gentiles, but he no longer does. Now, for a Jew living in the first century, the most surprising thing of all probably is not that he stopped eating with the Gentiles, but that he had started eating with the Gentiles in the first place. And why do I say that? Well, because the Jews had a very complicated system of rules and regulations and laws in which they were made clean. And as they were made clean by these rules and regulations, that enabled them to worship in the presence of God. So, certain foods were considered unclean. Diseased things were considered unclean. Dead things made you unclean. And so, for a Jew, he, a Jew would avoid those things in order to freely worship. And then the ceremonial law was taught by the scribes and the Pharisees to teach people that God who's holy couldn't allow sinful people into his presence without them being cleansed first. And so, just referencing our study of Mark, in, in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 7, Jesus explains that his coming to the world um, his perfect coming to the world um, fulfills all of those laws. And for Peter too, he had understood that. Um, and if you remember the story in Acts, God sent a vision to Peter showing him that the law had been fulfilled. It was finished. It had been completed. And he saw a great sheet come down from heaven full of animals that were forbidden to be eaten under the old covenant. And he heard the voice of God saying to him, Peter, get up, rise, kill, and eat. And he responds in this way. He says, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven and said, what God has made clean, 
do not call common. And so he has this amazing vision, and immediately after this vision, he meets a Gentile, a guy called Cornelius, who's repentant, and he receives Christ, and he's born again. And Peter has this revelation in uh, Acts 10, verse 34, and he says, and these are his words, he says, Truly, I now understand that God shows no partiality, but every na in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter understands in that moment, he understands the gospel is not only for the Jew, but for every nation, every Gentile nation, that walk, those that accept Christ and live by faith are considered righteous. And so after this, despite being uh, criticized, he eats with the Gentiles and even argues that Gentiles have been purified and made clean by faith. And we know that from Acts 15, in verse 7. Peter says this, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice amongst you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of God, the gospel, and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now we see in Antioch, Paul challenging Peter because he's withdrawn from that position. He has become hypocritical in his behavior. He hasn't changed his conviction, what he says he believes. He knew that food and dress laws were only Jewish customs and that he didn't have to keep them. But when it came to the Gentiles, he simply withdrew. He simply stopped acting according to his convictions, and he stopped living in line with the truth of the gospel. And it says in the original portion that we read, we, we, we read that this hypocrisy affected even Barnabas. Verse 12 shows us why he did this. It simply says he withdrew because he was afraid. He was afraid of those that were calling people to be circumcised. And that's Paul's way of, of talking about those that teach that we are saved by faith in Christ plus other things. And he calls those people the circumcision party. You know, you, you come to faith in Christ, but you must do more than that. You add religious behavior to your faith. And I'm also sure that there was some racism that also entered into it. Why do I say that? Well, because as a Jew, it had been drilled into Peter all of his life, since he was a young boy, that Gentiles were not clean. And so there was probably a feeling of superiority in Peter that he had to overcome um, against those that he might have considered were from an inferior culture or racial background. And so Peter, in his, in his, in, in his, um, his life at this point, was showing that cultural differences had become more important to him than gospel unity. And so Paul says directly to him in verse 14 that his behavior was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Peter had experienced the freedom of the gospel as a Jew and was crossing ethnic and religious barriers to eat with Gentile people. 
and he was just hanging out. He was just eating with them. He was having meals. He was chatting, and that's a, a, a absolutely good thing. And I say all that to be very simply point us to this simple thing, that in our church at Forest Town Church, we want to see that across ethnic lines. We want to see that happen across racial lines. The, the uh, vision of our church is to be a multicultural, multi-generational group of believers. Why? Because it's, it, it's an, an expression of gospel freedom that we have in Jesus. And we don't want it to be artificial. We don't want it to be politically driven. We don't want it to, to be programmed. We want it to be a natural, free, re relational thing that happens because all of us have been made free in Christ, are clean through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in that, on that basis, we can have unity together. And so that's why we do, if you know our church, we do eat together a lot. Um, and I love eating together because what it does is every time we eat food from a different culture and someone else brings their food, we, we learn about who they are, and we learn about the, their, their culture from the food that they eat. And so... I trust that uh, this will become increasingly a natural, joyful, spontaneous mixing uh, around tables in our church. And that's really what Paul uses to point out to Peter that there's something in his heart that has gone astray and he's no longer seeing the truth of the gospel and living that out. And so the second point I'd like to draw your attention to is that Peter really uh, is challenged by Paul to learn to walk straight, walk in line with the gospel. In other words, walk straight in, in, in line with the gospel and what it teaches. You see, Paul, Paul doesn't first say to Peter that his behavior is rude, that he was not eating with people. And undoubtedly it was absolutely rude. He doesn't say it's unwelcoming or ill-mannered. And it was both of those things. Fundamentally, he sees a much deeper thing in Peter's heart. And he says directly, you're not walking in line with the freedom and the truth of the gospel. And so for Paul, this issue of racism was a gospel issue. And it is a gospel issue. So literally, he says to Peter, you aren't, the word is ortho, where we get orthodontists from. And uh, an orthodontist makes your teeth straight when they skew. And basically, what Paul is saying to Peter is, you are not walking in an orthodox way in terms of the gospel truth. You, you are out of line, and you need to walk straight and get the prefix ortho, get in line with what the gospel says and what the gospel is teaching. And so what Paul means, really, is two simple things. He means that the gospel is first, first truth, it's a, it's a message, it's a set of belief and claims, and the wonderful truth of the gospel is that all of us that are weak and sinful, uh, and that we, we try and seek to control our, our lives and save ourselves through obeying rules and regulations, and being the Lord of our own lives, the gospel says that even though that is uh, true, that Jesus has fulfilled for us um, the, the, all of God's law, and although we are still flawed, and although we're not perfect, we are now completely acceptable because of Jesus. That's the wonderful message of the gospel. 
But the second thing that Paul um, means is that, that that message has a vast implication for our lives. And so our ongoing job by the power of the Holy Spirit is to bring everything in our lives in line with the message of the gospel, the freedom of the gospel, the direction of the gospel. And so the thing is that the message of the gospel is radically opposed to many things um, that we see in the world. And although we live in the world, we, not, we do not live according to the world's beliefs. We live according to the truth of the gospel as Christians. And so our lives, every one of us who walks by faith, is a continual process of realignment, bringing everything in our life in step with the gospel of Jesus. It's learning to walk straight. So the third thing I'd like to say is that Peter's mistake can be our mistake. You see, Peter's fundamental problem was one of nationalism. He insisted that people couldn't be Christian uh, and couldn't really please God unless they first became Jewish. Nationalism, nationalism really is another form of legalism. And legalism really looks at other things besides Jesus to make us clean and acceptable before God. And so legalism always results in pride, it always results in fear psychologically, and it results in exclusion and strife socially. And so we can see in our world many, many examples of that. For example, um, some you know, Christian groups and denominations um, have practices that make them different from each other. And that some of those things have much less to do with believing the gospel and much more about ethical beliefs or church policy beliefs. And so this can easily become a trap that we fall into that when we stre so stress our differences to show ourselves um, to others that our church is really superior to other churches or it's really the best church. <laughs> what about in our, in our culture uh, in, in, in the UK? Right now, there's still a great reality of social class um, and other divisions in our, in our culture, like racial divisions that have become so prevalent in the last, uh, people have become so aware of, again, in the last couple of weeks. And so we all know Christians that come from a different background or nation, and uh, there's the temptation that we can look down on people that are different from us. Or, or what about, for example, working class Christians who might look down on wealthy Christians? And vice versa, wealthy Christians might look down on working class Christians. Or people from a conservative political view might look down on Christians from a more liberal point of view. And vice versa. Or what about people that are very gifted uh, artistically or sports-wise? They can be tempted down to look on people that are less artistic or gifted as sports people. And there are many other things I could mention. In a real way, we might feel uncomfortable around people whose culture is different from our own. And we might even respond in a way that Peter does. Uh, and it, it, that was even in an apparently well-mannered way. We sit next to people, but we won't eat with them. 
We won't really open our hearts and become friends. So we won't really socialize. We just keep to our own social circle. We won't really have people in our homes or share our lives or our things with them. And so we keep the relationship formal so that we don't ever really get to, pe to know people really well. You see, my encouragement to you this morning, my challenge to you this morning is that actually all of those things come from us not really living our lives in line, in step with the truth of the gospel. You see, without the gospel, our hearts try and manufacture for themselves self-worth and self-esteem by comparing ourselves to another group or another class and saying we are superior. But here's the thing. The gospel tells us that we are all unclean without Jesus and we are all made clean by Jesus. You see, the most subtle way that we can fall into this trap and the most difficult way for us to identify it is that we somehow take our own preferences for things most seriously and we give them a significance that they don't really have. And so we give them moral significance when actually they're nothing more than cultural preferences. They're just the way that we do things. So, for example, in the church, this can be around worship styles, for example. And we can be tempted to look down on those that have a different worship style from us. And we see it as a spiritual thing. And actually, it's not a spiritual thing. It's just a cultural thing. It's just some, the way people do things differently. Some styles are more traditional. Some styles are more contemporary. And intrinsically, they don't have more spiritual value than each other. We cannot see that we are just different and we believe that our culture or our style is somehow spiritually better. And that leads to all sorts of divisions in the church and in society. The fourth thing I'd like you to notice is this. Just as Peter's mistake can be our mistake, fourthly, Paul's response can be our response. You see, Paul looks for what lies behind Peter's change in table manners. And when he speaks to him about it, he points to the principle rather than simply trying to change his behavior. And this is Paul's basic argument. God, and God did not have fellowship with you based on your race or your culture. Though you were devout and good, your race and your culture had nothing to do with it. Therefore, how can you have fellowship with each other based on your race or your culture? You see, Paul doesn't simply say that racism is a sin, which it absolutely is. But he uses the gospel to show Peter, remember, an apostle, a founding member of the church, that there's a spiritual root to his mistake that he was making. And he's saying this, he's saying that the roots of racism are resistance to God's gospel of grace and salvation. In other words, any racism, any nationalism is a continuation of the idea that we can save ourselves in one part of our lives. So we think in some way that we're better or more righteous because we belong to a certain group 
or nationality. And that's forgetting that every single one of us is saved by grace. Everyone. And so, whatever racial group we are from, we need to remember that. Yes, often if you're part of a racial majority, um, you can identify your pride and you can identify in the culture where the culture has made mistakes. If you're a member of minority that's put down, it's often very difficult to, to see how that might affect you as well. And I would just put it like this. If any of us ever begin to think that we are more noble than anyone else, whether we are in the majority or the minority, then we have failed to understand the gospel for ourselves. Paul's approach is radically different. He didn't simply say to Peter, you're breaking the rules, even though Peter was. He said to Peter, you've forgotten the gospel. You were welcomed by grace in Christ. He didn't focus so much on his sinful behavior, on the sinful attitude. He rather focused on the sinful attitude of self-righteousness that underlay everything. And you see, I, I think, and this is why I feel it's such a, a wonderful um, truth for us today, is that I think that's the way that we should be challenging each other. When, you, when you're trying to motivate and urge people to see how rich Christ is in his love towards them, then at the same time, you personally point them to their value and dignity as you appeal to them. But when you try and motivate people by threatening them or making them feel fearful, it's unlikely that you will feel respect for them as you do that. And that will rightly give them the sense that you're not really on their side. You see, when we use the grace of God as a basic motivator, we can criticize, but the person will able, be able to feel that we really are for them. We're not against them. And lastly, just remember this in verse 12. Peter's racial pride was rooted in fear. And when our sin is rooted in fear, we need to be loved and encouraged to get the courage to do what is right, despite fear. See, Peter's racism was out of line with the gospel, and so too was his fear. And that's what Paul reminds him of. He was already justified by Christ. He was already clean. He had the approval of Jesus. He didn't need the approval of anyone else, not the circumcision group or anybody else. Now, I want to urge you to this morning that all of us remember that. In this time, which is so turbulent and so difficult to know how to speak and to speak in a way that honors everybody, I want to urge you as we try and embrace in our church community every nation and culture and see them, every person become part of our church that God is building here, that we treat every single person in this gospel, grace-centered way. We're never trying to motivate people out of guilt. Uh, if we do that, all we're trying to say is you really should do this if you are a Christian. But that's what quenches motivation for ministry in the local church and for loving other people. 
And Paul never did that. He just pointed people to Jesus and what Jesus had done for them. And then he encouraged them to treat everyone equally on the basis of what Christ has done for all of us. And he, if Paul was here, I think he would simply say this to all of us right now, facing what we are facing in the world. Remember the grace of God that was showered upon you. What does living in and enjoying that grace look like right now in your life in this situation? I think Paul would say that to each and every one of us. So I finish with three little challenges and questions for all of us. First of all, uh, in what area of your life, and what area of my life, can we all learn to walk in line with the gospel in the next month and for the rest of the year? How, how can all of us learn to realign our lives? In what areas do we need to do that? Maybe as you um, wait on the Lord, he, he'll, he'll maybe speak to you about some things that he's asking you to change. That he's saying, I want you to walk straight in this area of your life. Secondly, uh, we haven't been able to meet as a church for a long time now. But I'd like you to think about this. Perhaps, perhaps there were some in the church that you weren't eating with because they weren't perhaps not like you. Uh, as we think about drawing together again as a church, how can you put that right? Can you change that? Maybe think of some people that you can engage with in a way that you haven't engaged with them before. And thirdly, how can you learn to motivate yourself and other Christians, not with guilt, but more in line with the gospel, with the beauty of who Jesus is and all that he's done for you and all that he's done for me?